0: folks and welcome to Christ in Every Word, a podcast of the Concordia Bible Institute housed on the beautiful campus of Concordia University Wisconsin. This is your opportunity to read, mark, learn and inwardly digest the sacred scriptures with me, Dr. Brian Gurman, Associate Professor of Theology here at the university and the director of the Concordia Bible Institute. We're making our way through the book of Genesis. Christianity in the book of Genesis sounds maybe a little bit odd. Isn't this Old Testament book just like an ancient Near Eastern sort of thing, and that's that? No, it is also Christian scripture. It speaks a word as a sacred text to the Christian people and church of all times and places, even constitutive of their life, defining What it means to be a Christian still, and that is because all of this has been fulfilled in the person and work of Christ Jesus, the head of that very church. And so we do well to consider these facets of our life, taking a look at what it looks like to live and move and have our being in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Chapter 16 is on the docket today. This uh, Sarah and Hagar... Maybe you've heard of it before. This is typical of Genesis. We've got brothers, we've got wives, we've got sisters, we've got all sorts of things. Always a pairing of sorts, and I think that's kind of a beautiful thing. In the big picture of God dealing with his people, you're going to see the way of life and the way of death. You're going to see election, choosing, and you're also going to, I mean, de facto have someone that's unchosen because of that. And yet at the very, I mean, Cain and Abel, right? The very first narrative after the fall, Cain and Abel, well, one sacrifices. oh, I've got favor on that one and the other one, not so much. Um, we're going to see this kind of uh, duality, this pairing throughout the book of Genesis. Why so many emphasis on like, this one or that one. One's given favor, one's not. It's going to be played out in a special way here with Sarah and Hagar. I'll get to that in a second. But why so much? This is this is part of the, the beauty of how God works. He elects, he chooses, and even as that very activity uh, inherently means that he's not choosing or not electing something or someone else... The Lord is such that he immediately f- makes provisions for the unchosen or unelected to be grafted into what has been chosen and elected. This is just straight out of Romans, by the way. This is just God elects Israel. And what happens, Israel gets a little too uh, prideful and haughty and kind of, what, um, despises the things of the Lord or that very election in the first place. What happens, the gospel goes to the Gentiles. And then what happens? The Jews start to get jealous and then they're grafted in as well, or regrafted or rekindled, as it were, that God may be all in all. He's always working for the sake of the salvation uh, of all of his people, whatever the case is with his electing and choosing and showing favor and so on. We're going to see that here with Sarah and Hagar. Chapter 16, um, this is kind of a fascinating narrative because now we're the, the attention is on the women here. Before Abe has been kind of center of the focus, he's the one that, you know, down in Egypt, he's the one speaking to his wife. Sarah, this is what you say. You say you're my sister. And then uh, and so on. She just she's been quiet. Uh, and then in 14 and 15, we talked about Melchizedek in 14, 15 is when God kind of confirms this covenant Abe is getting testy. he's had he has lots of speaking roles, but now Sarah is is kind of running the show here and it starts like this. Now Sarah, Abram's wife had borne him no children. That right away is isn't that Christianity as well? You think of all the barren women you think of miraculous conceptions. Why is the Bible full of miraculous conceptions if not to point to the miraculous conception? Sarai is introduced already in chapter 11 at the end as being barren. So right away, I mean, Abe gets a lot of attention for why is he chosen, he's an idolater and so on in chapter 12 to to get the promise in the first place. But it's not only Abe, it's also a man whose wife can't have kids. And then you you go to them and say, you're going to have lots of, you know, a big nation and lots of people. Well, how is that going to be? She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Notice the irony here. We've been down in Egypt, and uh, Sarah has, in a very profound way, served the Egyptians, you might say. Served Abe, uh, calling him Lord. First Peter 3, served Abe by calling him Lord. Just I, She didn't say anything. Again, no speaking role, but she obeyed. She was submissive, apparently, and said she was the sister to Abe. And Pharaoh takes her, and we we talked about that. So um, (laughs) serving the Egyptians, by extension, doing what she was told to do, I suppose, in Pharaoh's house and so on. Now uh, they come out on the other side with, what, silver and gold and even more blessings than they had before going down into Egypt. Now they have, what, even a, a female servant who's an Egyptian whose name was Hagar, And this is part of the beauty of how God works. As you go through this life and it's terrible, messy, and you have to choose between death and death and evil and evil, and Abe goes down to Egypt because of it, what happens? Well, I'm following Luther here a little bit. Pharaoh hears the gospel. Pharaoh hears that, yeah, that is my wife, and that was a bad thing you've done. But you know what? There is forgiveness for even thee. And this is how. Let me tell you where you can find that, how that happens. Well, look at this, Sarah. Hagar, I mean, where did Hagar come from? We don't know anything about Hagar, but we know that she's a, an Egyptian. We've talked about Egypt, and so it's very possible that she comes up out of that. I mean, the irony is that this is God's people being drawn up out of Egypt. I mean, we're, we're drawn out of the depths of death. Sin, despair, the Egypts, the Egypts of our life. Hagar is ironically a picture of how Israel gets her life in the first place, being drawn out of captivity to sin, death, and the devil, and all of a sudden being um, grafted in as it were a part of this wonderful plan of salvation. So Hagar, I mean, Sarah is the church, even as Hagar is the church. You're going to see, this is the beauty of how the Old Testament works, you're going to see something about the church refracted in these women. Just as we saw it in Abe, you're going to see it in these women as well. This, Sarah is when the church gets a little testy and impatient. Can't we, God gives you a promise, can't we hasten this along a little bit? God promised blessings, and he's going to be with me. My life is a mess. Can't I just, maybe God has kind of forgotten about this or whatever. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Sarai says to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant that, I, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abe listens to the voice of Sarai. This promise is not being fulfilled in my way, on my terms, and at my time. Not as quickly as I would like, not in the way that I would like, not in the, in the manner that I expected. This is when the church gets impatient and says, enough of waiting on the Lord to fulfill his promises in the way that he has in mind. We've got to take matters into our own hands. We've got to start working toward this a little bit more. It's on us, in part, so the church is tempted to think throughout all times and places to take these matters into our own hands we are the the ones that all we have to hop in the in the driver's seat for a little while or we have to contribute you know the Lord has most of it but we'll, we'll 10 twenty percent on us we will contribute toward this promise fulfillment stuff so that it's fulfilled on our terms are the, are the pews empty or are things not going according to how you thought the Lord would fulfill them well, We'll take matters into our own hands. This ultimately, by pure extension, is this is Cain and Abel turf again. This is, Paul says in Galatians 4, two different religions. I mean, one is you take matters into your own hand. I have a ladder to climb to get up to heaven to be on good terms with God. It's a religion of the law. It's slavery, Paul says, and you can see that in Hagar, Egyptian servant, but the other is totally free, blessed by grace through faith. That is, you're totally barren, Sarai. It's not about what you can bring to the table. And that's the church that's totally free, uh, leaving it all in the Lord's hands. And thanks be to God that is the case, that it's not in your hands. That he, he's the one with the promise and he is the one with the sure and certain fulfillment and how that's going to happen. That's a good spot to be. So Abe listens to the voice of Sarah, does this sound like Eden all over again? Because you listen to the voice of your wife. This is like a little Edenic deja vu here. Abe goes along with it. Notice he's just there and he goes along with it. This is when the church says this is to, This is when the church says to the ministry, this is how the Lord's promises will be fulfilled among us. This is the kind of church that, you, that we want you uh, to minister to. So after 10 years, and I think the reason we get Abe's age, by the way, so Abe was 75 in chapter 12 when he gets this promise in the first place. Why? Who cares? Who cares how old he is? Is it just because, okay, he's also a, kind of an old guy and he's able to, he has a journey, all these things, and that's, you know, indicating indicative of God's miraculous provisions and so on. I suppose that's fine so far as it goes. But I think the 10-year thing is to say this was, I mean, this is this is the full time. 10 as a number of just this complete period of time where we waited and, well, you know, it's like, what, Saul, he waits seven days and that's that. I mean, I got to fire up this sacrifice for myself. Big no-no. But that's what happens when we, we wait our time and that's enough and it's time to take matters into our own hands. So after 10 years, he goes into Hagar, the Egyptian, and she conceives. And when Sarah saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. Okay, now this is part of the deal of why all the marriage stuff, by the way, in Genesis? So much marriage stuff. I mean, in chapter 12, right, with Egypt, marriage was involved there. In chapter 6, before the flood, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, so they took them, right? This is, I mean, sexual relations and so on. Everything is, I mean, that's all part of this. You get the language. I think that's why you get the language here. He he goes into her and she can see, I mean, how much detail do we need, right? This is kind of like, but I think the point is that this is exactly, this is a problem in Ezra at the end of the book of Ezra. This is a problem of the intermarriage issue in Deuteronomy and the end of Ezra. The, the issue is, This is when you chase after other gods, other religions. This is chasing after idolatry. This is like a spiritual infidelity that is being hammered throughout the book of Genesis. And this is what happens when the church, you know, gets unequally yoked with something of the culture, just to draw on the language of 1 Corinthians 6, and then realizes that this is this is not This is not going to do for us what we thought it was going to do. And it frustrates us, and now we hate it. Now we hate the fact, it's kind of like the beast and the prostitute in Revelation 17, where, I mean, for a while they were all chummy, the beast and the prostitute, and then they end up hating each other. They want to devour the flesh and so on. They hate each other. Evil uh, is going to self-destruct in these ways, you give it enough time, eventually it'll burn out and kill off its own. It'll eat its own. <laughs> and this is how it goes with these unequal partnerships, relationships. The church is tempted to entertain, and then it's, she now looks with contempt on her mistress. She hates this. She doesn't want this, uh, what, the her husband, her bridegroom to go after another. Um, she realizes that her life is is in him. And that this is just a false marriage. This is a bad, bad idea. This is why you get all this attention like in Ezra. Put away these foreign wives among you. Be careful about that because it's going to lead away your your heart spiritually. And now Sarah hates this, realizing this, that this is hugely detrimental. Sarah says to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. This is when the world thinks that, you know, the church goes through a scandal or the church has to rely on the ways of the world, and the world says, see, those Christians are no different than we are. And Sarah here realizes that that's, that is a huge injustice. This drives her crazy. This is wrong. Abe says, you know what? Because of this confession here, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. This is uh, may God do so you as you have have confessed. Put her away. She's in your hands. Up to half of my kingdom, I'll give you. You know, it kind of sounds like this. And so Sarah deals harshly with her. She She flees from her. Put away the false gods among you, put away these other arrangements, put away your attempts to hasten the fulfillment of God's promises among you, to have them on your terms the way you want to see them expressed and fulfilled and manifested in your own life. Put all that away. Drive it far from you. And we're going to see here in a wonderful way that even as Sarai uh, drives all that away, the Lord, through that, works a miraculous way of grafting and even that which was banished, Hagar and Ishmael. We'll talk about that real soon, right after our
1: break. We'll be back in just a moment to the Concordia Bible Institute podcast. In the meantime, I'd like to have you consider this question. What is most important in higher education? How do you prioritize all the knowledge to be gained at an institution of higher learning? Concordia University, Wisconsin, located on the shores of Lake Michigan in Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee, is an institution that is committed to excellence in learning, but at the same time realizes that excellence in itself is insufficient without development in vocation. We believe that God works through our vocations, our callings, in order to serve the needs of those around us. The mission statement of Concordia University puts it this way, Concordia University, Wisconsin is a Lutheran higher education community, committed to helping students develop in mind, body, and spirit for service to Christ in the church and the world. You can learn more about the over 70 programs offered at Concordia by visiting the website, www.cuw.edu. And if you're benefiting from our Christ in Every Word podcast, I encourage you to support this ministry by mentioning it to others and by offering your monetary support. Please consider supporting the Concordia Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on the Contribute page. And now, back to the podcast.
0: All righty there, folks. We are back with our study of Genesis chapter... Sixteen. Just looking at Luther here over the break. It's a fascinating thing. He's kind of like in chapter 12 where he says, you know, Abe didn't really lie. Uh, he shows miraculous faith here when he says, you know, you'd say you're my sister and so on. I think it, there's a lie involved there, but I think that the bigger point is, is right, and that is he's acting for the sake of the promise. And... I think he's kind of doing that here, too. I was looking at what he had to say in chapter 16. Um, He writes that uh, Abraham was not glad to do so, that is, listen to his wife about this whole go into Hagar business. I, for my part, am completely convinced that he obeyed Sarah unwillingly. In other words, he's not happy about this, but he still does this for the sake of, of the promise. And... I think that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of like in chapter 12. Who knows? He might have had terrible nights. He couldn't sleep. He was totally distraught over this. This is my wife. How could this be happening to me? Uh, he sees that here also in chapter 16. Well, I still think there's, I mean, this the he listens to his wife sounds a lot like the Garden of Eden. And so there's an issue there, certainly. Yeah. Um, but here we have to think about how all this relates to that promised seed. I guess that's the big point of that. And again, Paul does this in Galatians. I didn't read it earlier, but it's, it's worth noting here. Galatians 4 is what I have in mind. Um, 22 and following, it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free was born through promise. This is, these are the two ways. This is the church of Cain, the church of Abel. These are the two ways, the way of life, the way of death, the way of the righteous, the way of the wicked, these two women, Sarah and Hagar. In this way, already the Bible itself tells you, Paul and Galatians, that this text, this kind of odd text from Genesis 16, still speaks a word about, uh, in, well, in Paul's day, this kind of this first century church situation, Jew and Gentile, and it, and it endures beyond that. It goes also to our own day as far as this works of the law or, or the religion of grace. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. The spring on the way to shore. I love this because this is actually the first time the angel of the Lord appears in the Bible. Fascinating thing. I mean, angel of the Lord is a big deal. Uh, Angel of the Lord sounds like, I mean, it sounds like, wait, is that just a regular angel? But then this angel speaks like the Lord, acts like the Lord, does things that only the Lord does, well beyond even the angelic realm. And so then it's like, this is no run-of-the-mill angel. And we're going to see this angel with the sacrifice of, near sacrifice of Isaac in chapter 22. You'll see it with the Exodus journey. You'll see this angel Uh, And then we'll realize, boy, this this sounds a lot like the pre-incarnate Christ, that all these manifestations of the special angel was a special messenger. All right. And that is before that is the Christ who is not yet in the flesh. This is fascinating to think about why here for the first time that the angel of the Lord would appear. Now, think about what's happening angel of the Lord finds her by a spring of water in the wilderness. So cast out, Hagar, totally kicked out. You were in the house, gone. Out into the wilderness, hanging out by the water. Sounds a lot like our Lord himself. He came to his own. His own didn't receive him. Cast out. He gets baptized. Water, right? He's kicked out into the wilderness. This is a lot, this is very rich. Of course, John the Baptist, Jordan River, wilderness, but stays by the water. This is the life of the Christian. We are out in the wilderness of this world. And yet we live by the water, and this is exactly the the person and work of Christ. He comes into our wilderness, into the flesh brings life-giving waters. This is the story of salvation. This is why the angel of the Lord is here. This is what the angel of the Lord could show up at creation and say, oh, look at these beautiful stars. And then the angel of the Lord added, you know, special colorful lights to them, and it was a magnificent show. Fireworks in Genesis chapter 1, beautiful thing. The first time the angel of the Lord picks up is rejection, cast out, wilderness, live by the water. The clearest, fullest expression of who God is and what the Angel of the Lord is all about—the heartstrings are on full display here, in being smitten, stricken, and afflicted, living by the water in the wilderness. That's who the Angel of the Lord is, and He said, "Hagar, servant." By He said, right? He said, "Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going?" She said, I am fleeing from my mistress. I mean, that's part of the deal here. Where are you come from? Where are you going? It's kind of like Jesus in the beginning of John. What, whom are you seeking? Where are you going? What are you after? Why are you weeping? These questions. Think about your situation in relationship to the to the destination. Where are you going? I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. This is... A call back to be grafted into the olive tree. This is Romans 9, 10, 11. This is how this is how the, the Gentiles we are going our own way. We've been in the wilderness, as it were. We, we're not we're strangers to the aliens to the covenant, strangers to the promise, Paul says. Salvation's for the Jews. We're not we're not part of this story, right? And yet here's the the angel of the Lord say, Return to your mistress and submit to her go back to holy mother jerusalem this israel thing is not just about israel according to the flesh Yeah, salvation is for the jews but for the sake of grafting in the gentiles the angel says i will surely multiply your offspring this is like japheth after noah gets hammered um shem is the shem is sarai but at the same time there is a japheth may god enlarge and that is the enlarging that he does by grafting in the people of Yepheth. the promise the going to dwell in the tents of Shem and so you might as well paraphrase this with return to uh, Sarai dwell in the tents of Sarai because you're you're also going to have a multitude of offspring you are pregnant you'll bear a son you'll call his name Ishmael because the lord has listened to your affliction, this is a very rich word. Ishmael um, means that God hears. He Doesn't God only listen to his own people? Ishmael, yeah, the promise is going to come through Isaac, and yet Ishmael, God hears. He'll be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hands against him. There's going to be all kinds of strife and contention. And uh, by nature, children of wrath... Uh, evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, murder, lies. And yet he'll have a special place. He'll dwell over against all his kinsmen. And so she calls the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. God hears you. God sees you. God shows himself to you in physical, tangible ways. Bread, wine, water. And so she names the well of all the places, right? She names the well, the place where you get water. Be'er lehi Roy, which is in Hebrew like the well of the living one who sees me. Sounds like John 4, doesn't it? The well of living waters. Everybody, come to me, and you'll have a water that springs up to everlasting life. This is a God who appears and manifests Himself, gives an image. We have a visual, and he yet and yet that visual appearance is tied to water, physical, tangible elements. Name the well. And this is exactly why Luther was big on. Um, so Haggai, let me just finish. I might as well. Hagar bears Abram a son. They call his name Ishmael. He's 86 years old. Luther says Haggai, Haggai, <laughs> sorry. I've been working on Haggai a little bit. Hagar is totally um, grafted in in this way. Ishmael is, I'll just read from him. Uh, Hagar should be counted among the saintly women. And I believe that Ishmael, too, was saved together with many of his descendants. Hagar, justified and sanctified by the word of God, symbolizes the ungodly without detriment to herself. So she, he gets that Paul in Galatians 4, Sarai represent, this is the church, we live by grace, faith, and the promise and yet Hagar even though she symbolizes the ungodly this kind of this is a different way to do it just the natural fleshly way build your ladder up to heaven it's going to fail in the very even albeit representing this other way Hagar Luther says is totally justified and sanctified and is also a picture of the church namely those who are grafted in We don't, by any reason or strength or merit, deserve this. We're wild, wild people, wild, uh, by nature, sinful and unclean, thought, word, and deed. Stubborn, like a wild donkey, Jeremiah the prophets. Why are my people, the donkey even knows its master's crib, but my people have no, they're like this stubborn, stiff-necked mule that only goes straight forward and, and is rebellious. Even so, these are the very kinds of people uh, for whom the angel of the Lord died in Christ Jesus, um, grafted in and being blessed and sanctified by grace through faith. And promised everlasting life. No matter how bad the external appearances are, this is the life of the church. This is the Christian faith. That God will not lie. He will not go back on his promise. He cannot deny himself. He will fulfill everything that he has promised us in Christ. In him, all of his promises find their yes and amen. Thanks be to God for his marvelous salvation that he works for both Jew and Gentile, Sarai and Hagar, and their descendants. Great stuff here, chapter 16. Stay tuned, we'll tackle the next one next time. The mission of the Concordia Bible Institute is to provide Christ-centered Bible instruction from distinguished experts who teach Christ in every word of the Old and New Testaments to strengthen faith and spread belief in the one true God. Again, if you benefit from this podcast series, I encourage you to consider supporting the Bible Institute by going to our website, www.concordiabible.org and clicking on our contribute page. Until next time, my friends, I'm Dr. Brian Gurman, wishing you all God's blessings in Christ Jesus our Lord.